back to the Fresh Expressions podcast. I am Heather Delot, and I am here with my friend Gannon Sims. Hey, Gannon. Hey, Heather. It's great to be with you today. <laughs> it is great to be with you as well. We have a great conversation that you had with our director of Fresh Expressions North America, Dr. Christopher Backert, in regards to really the, the future of the church and um, specifically denominational uh, leaders and how they can be agents of change uh, and really catalyze a, a missional movement within these denominations. Uh, what what really kind of struck you from your conversation with Chris Cannon? I think what struck me is that Chris is a, a student of uh, denominations of the future of the church. He believes deeply in connectivity. Um, you know, none of us in Fresh Experience Fresh Expressions World want Lone Ranger Christianity. So we want mm. a pioneers linked up with churches. We want teams. And the same is true with denominations. So we want we really want to catalyze Fresh Expressions of Church from uh, central operating systems. But in order for those things to be more missional in focus, we've, we've really got to do uh, some... Uh, uh, self-correction, I think, in terms of, of, you know, appreciating all of the institutionalism that has uh, led us to this point, but uh, getting very honest about what we're maintaining uh, and, and what about our maintenance mode is keeping us from mission. And so I think, you know, a, a question mm -hmm. that Chris is asking is, you know, what do we need to take with us and what do we need to leave behind uh, to move into the future where uh, denominations are about discipleship and transformation and church planting. Uh, as much as we love uh, all of our institutional things, mm -hmm. our, our funds and our conference centers and our, um, mm -hmm. you know, all the, all of the, the things that um, have, um, HVAC that breaks, um, what, what do we need to do um, in order to, to sort of really, I mean, again, take a, take a, uh, an accounting of, of what is effective and, and what we might need to kind of uh, bless and celebrate and then leave behind. Good stuff yeah, from, from this Wesleyan sister here. What's essential and what is not essential? As, as Wesley has been attributed to saying, but um, I don't think he actually said that. But Well, but it is. But it's also – but, but it means, you know, celebrating our history. And I think, you know, we, we had an episode yeah. earlier with, with Todd Bolsinger and, you know, Todd talks about, you know, let's, let's, let's honor the past. Let's be um, thankful for it. And, and sometimes our, our – our history can catalyze our future. Um, it's just, Absolutely. we just don't need to get um, stuck in it. It's, it's a law and gospel conversation. It's um, the posture of our heart. If we're hanging on to things, is that, is that law or, um, or is it, is it really gospel? So I think, you know, some having that open posture, open hands, and that's what we need to see from a denominational leaders moving forward. We need them. They have Port for the church, um, but to the the extent that they catalyze movement. All right. Well, without further ado, have a listen in on this conversation with Dr. Christopher Backer. Well, 
Well, this is the Fresh Expressions podcast, and I'm joined today uh, by uh, Dr. Chris Backert, who's the director of Fresh Expressions in North America. And uh, Chris, it's really uh, good to have you on the podcast uh, for a second time. That's a, it's a privilege. Good to be here. We're um, talking about uh, a subject that's near and dear to your heart, which is um, denominations, which denominations are just sort of like, you know, this, this human institution, like we have to have. Um, but there are certain things that I think you've pinpointed in your work and research over the years that uh, point to a thriving denomination or, or components that make a thriving denomination. And so I'm just curious, you know, kind of what, what your thoughts are in terms of what makes a thriving denomination. Yeah, sure. Well, I think to back up just a little bit, the, what, why this is important to me is just a number of years ago, I, I had an observation that um, throughout, the, especially the last couple of hundred years, uh, there's always been uh, what I would call translocal covenanted church collaboration. And uh, that, for the most part, in the last 150, 200 years has manifested itself in the form of denominationalism. And that, that's important to uh, think about it for me on like a bit, a bit of a higher level first, because there's not a lot of people that today want to talk about denominations or think that most denominations have any real relevance to the life of local congregations or even more so to the, the lives of uh, individual disciples or families within local churches. But when you when you step back and you realize that there's always been some kind of translocal covenanted church collaboration, and uh, as those ways of relating to each other outside of just a local context have sort of morphed and shifted over the last uh, 2,000 years, uh, they they always have still had an impact on local churches and on individual disciples or families uh, within local churches. And so I think it's it's uh, an important part of the future, uh, it, just as much as it's important for us to be thinking about how we live out our faith in these days as uh, individual followers of Jesus or in our families, as important it is for us as church leaders of local congregations to consider what is the shape and uh, uh, focus and way of being for our ministries in our cities or towns. It's also important for us to think about how do we connect and relate to other Christians and other churches that are not just within a drivable distance from us. And it's an important part of the, the visible church uh, in the world is how churches connect and relate to, to one another. And today, uh, there's been the emergence, and especially in the last two decades, of a lot of church networks. And that's that's the way people talk about the new things that have formed. But many of them take on similarities to uh, denominations, and they are a new way of church collaboration that people are finding uh, within their whole ecclesial life. So, so that's why it's important to me because I don't think that churches connecting and relating to one another and finding ways of being in covenant to one another or being on mission together is, uh, is going to go away. Uh, even if we are in an era where it appears that denominations are dying, they're 
I don't know, think they're so much dying as they are morphing into something new or newer. Yeah, I think the morphing um, is is a really important thing as we think about iterative leadership or adaptive leadership. I mean, how are you seeing the morph? I mean, you you talked about translocal, so that's maybe a new kind of concept for people to get their mind around, but translocal being like a local uh, church connection that is tethered to something bigger than itself, uh, networked even across the country, even across geographic boundaries even that's yes, what a network yeah. really is uh, so so talk a little bit about uh, the, the morphing yeah well I, the thing that is I believe is important is to most people to understand that even the denominations that we have today really have gone through various uh, seasons in their in their lives over the last 150 100 200 years and the way that they look today is not the way that they looked in 1900 or 1850. So, for instance, um, you know, let's just take the Baptist as a as a subset of Protestant Christians, right? Now, most Baptists would say they're not a denomination, and uh, they would say they're associations of churches. But most people understand Baptists to be a denomination. Well, in the uh, you know. Prior to the Civil War, uh, there was basically one Baptist group in the country, and they primarily functioned translocally together for the uh, appointment and serving of missionaries. And that was basically the whole reason for being of the Baptist denominational body. And then smaller groups of Baptists in cities or states or regions, they did the same thing. They got together to uh, raise money and support and send missionaries to their their regions or their cities. And so today, though, if you were to look at any Baptist denomination, whether it's an American Baptist, you know, used to be Northern Baptist Convention or Southern Baptist or any of the Progressive National Baptists or the National Baptist Convention, um, any Baptist group, you would look at them today and say they they don't look like an organization that primarily exists to raise money to send missionaries. And so in in every and you could take that same concept and apply it to Methodism or Presbyterianism. And and you just realize that the way that they function for 50 years or 100 years is is not the way that they function today. That the, the, What we have today in most denominational life is really a. Uh, the output of a, the organizational era in North America, you know, somewhere between the end of the first world war and the 1960s, the majority of denominations in our country of all kinds across the theological spectrum are largely shaped by what happened during that period of time. And they have largely carried on the same basic structure with some minor tweaks over the last four decades that developed during an era of consolidation and, and corporate understanding of uh, church between, again, like eh, the end of the First World War and somewhere around the 1960s. And so it, that was another phase in denominational life. We look very different than the previous phase. 
And I think what we are now is there's another morphing going on, which is pushing uh, the, the future toward more of a network approach to denominational life. But where the real challenge comes into place is that many of the structures that were set up in the organizational age of denominational life um, are really hard to dismantle, to move into a new sort of phase of denominations sort of functioning and their being together. And so that's that's a lot of the challenge that all of our historic denominational bodies are facing today and some doing better with making those changes and some this is a greater struggle. And so kind of forecast out for us a little bit in terms of where you think those, you know, how are those structures become more nimble? What's the future look like? Yeah, I, I think it's really hard for denominations uh, that are bounded by geography. And that's, that's the primary, um, I think, barrier to most transformation that needs to take place within a denominational family. And what I mean by bounded by geography is that within North American context, because there are several bodies in North America that are both U.S. and Canada, several denominations in, the, in North America that cover both countries, and of course, many that are just in, in the States or just in Canada. I think the challenge is that if you are one of those groups and then you're split up into smaller regional groups. So, you know, let's say you are the West Virginia uh, Synod of the Lutheran Church. Uh, you, you don't have jurisdiction to do things in Michigan, for instance. And I think that the real challenge is that in our networked society that uh, people – while they still care about what happens locally, often find uh, greater affinity or a sharing of a common passion for mission um, in some other part of the country. And when you're fixed in a geographic boundary, it's, um, it's very hard to, I think, to change because you're, you're left in a situation where you, you are not – you're really not able to expand your reach except within your own, your own state or your own region. And uh, that's, I think it's, it's a challenge if you're in that phase. So I, I think that the denominational bodies that have been able to either um, break down the geographic boundaries and let churches connect outside of uh, their particular location or in addition to their particular location, um, they have had a lot more success in, in finding ways of transforming their, their system. And I think the other thing that's a challenge is that almost all denominational bodies have uh, kind of historic artifacts that they carry with them from decade to decade. Something that was really awesome in the 1970s that they're still paying for in a lot of sense financially here in 2022. And, um, and those artifacts really weigh down the denominational system's ability to, to change or its ability to invest in what is needed now. So you look at a lot of the groups over the last, let's just say, 10 or 20 years that are more thriving as denominational bodies or connectional bodies, um, they have, lots of them have really 
minimize the number of sort of historic artifacts or institutions that they carry with them year after year. And they have put their focus on a very few things. So church planting typically is, is one of their focuses or multiplication, strengthening or revitalization of existing churches and leadership development, uh, and maybe sometimes a global mission arm. But a lot of the denominations that are, that are doing better uh, in the last two decades, they're focused on just a few things. And, and the historic bodies still have colleges or schools or children's homes or um, historic societies, uh, all kinds of institutions that grew up during the organizational age of denominational life that they're still carrying. And those things feel very important to the people who come to the meetings to vote on whether or not they should have a future. Uh, but often they're really way down the, the bodies of the, the, the system's capacity to change. So I think in the future, uh, the denominations that are able to sort of break down the, their institutionalism in some form to lessen it, will have a greater shot at thriving and at, well, at surviving and thriving. And um, those that don't, uh, it's it's going to be difficult because it's just uh, unless they have a big endowment of some kind, uh, they are just going to get kind of like stuck in the, uh, as Jim Collins would say, in good to great in the doom loop where uh, they keep investing in things that used to work and uh, they're they're losing out on investing in the future. So, so I I, I see a day in which uh, some denominations will uh, just have a long, slow decline until they reach a, a, a tipping point. And uh, depending on who you talk to and what denomination you're talking about, uh, that tipping point it may already have passed or it could be coming soon in which there'll be precipitous decline. Some denominations will make the transition to a, a, a less institutional, more networked approach. And then I think the third thing that will happen is a lot of the networks that have formed in the last two decades will start to look more uh, denominational. Uh, they'll start to add layers of structure. Uh, they'll start to uh, have increased services or things that they offer to the churches that are part of them. And some of these things are already taking place. And um, so so I think those are the three broad buckets of what I see happening in the general denominational life. I think there'll be consolidations. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of other people have said this, that if there is some kind of uh, United Church of the United States, like there is a United Church of Canada, uh, at some point in time, the next 15 to 20 years. Uh, I think there'll be some other other kinds of consolidation uh, from other denominational bodies, especially ones that are really small. You know, there are, there's just a load of groups who most people have never heard of who have 150 or 200 churches across the whole country. And um, I think that there, there will be some way that they've have to consolidate to, to continue to survive and be relevant to their congregations. So I think you're going to see a, a number of different things happening over the next two decades, but uh, those are, those are some of them. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about um, maybe success stories or, you know, denominations you've seen that have adapted without, it's kind of like, you know, 
not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but, you know, kind of how, how do you see or maybe some stories of, of denominations that are maybe successfully navigating this uh, cultural moment? Yeah. Well, I'll just, I'll just pick uh, uh, two or three that are in somewhat distinct situations. So, for instance, the, the Converge Worldwide is what they're called now, but they used to be called the Baptist General Conference. They were a, uh, um, primarily a historic Baptist body that kind of came out of Europe, and most of their folks migrated to the upper Midwest. All right. So they were the Baptist version of the Lutherans. And um, that, they were a denomination that was very small uh, for a long period of time. And maybe like I think six, seven hundred churches in the early 2000s across the whole country. And they um, made a couple key decisions, uh, but uh, one of them was they changed their name. Uh, because they realized that in uh, the era that is coming, that people would want to be connected to something that didn't have a denominational tag. And so they made that change. And then the second uh, kind of really key decision that they made is they, they decided that they were going to uh, have a really strong emphasis on church planting and church multiplication. A third decision that they made was they were going to put effort into church recruitment recruitment of uh, non-denominational congregations or independent churches who are looking for some level of connection and affiliation. And then um, the fourth thing that I, I would say from an outside perspective, I believe that they did is they determined that the uh, future of uh, the people of the United States uh, was a lot uh, more colorful than uh, their predominantly like 99% uh, upper Midwest Anglo population that was made up their churches. And so they put a really concerted effort into uh, diversifying culturally their denominational body, thinking that was really important for their future. So today, you know, you fast forward 15 or 20 years uh, in the transformation of the Baptist General Conference into Converge. And my understanding is that they, they probably have about 2,000 or so churches um, that have joined or been started as a part of their fellowship in the last 15 or 20 years. That's pretty tremendous uh, growth from a denominational perspective. Uh, I understand that about 25 to 30 percent of all of their congregations are non-Anglo. That's pretty substantial transformation from a denomination that for its almost entire history was almost completely uh, Anglo. Uh, they've had a great number of churches join that were independent, uh, join their denomination. And uh, they, they focus on just a very few things. Uh, and mostly they're the things I've already mentioned that they thought were keys to their transformation. That's what they continue to focus on today. Uh, even something like, you know, most denominations have a, have a pension fund or, or some, some structure like that within their body. Well, they, uh, I think a year or two ago, uh, divested themselves of that, uh, type of ministry and, uh, their pastors now are all, uh, I think get those services through the Wesleyan denomination, uh, and not through their own 
Baptist General Conference or converge worldwide. So that's that's kind of a national example, I think, of of a group that uh, again a free church tradition. So uh, some of those changes have been were easier to make because uh, they didn't have the the layers of uh, approval that need, would need to happen in some more hierarchical bodies. But that's a, that's a good example of a of a transformation in our current time. You, you've talked about the artifact of the pension fund that they had to leave behind. Are there any other artifacts you can think of that they had to leave behind in order to move forward? Yeah, some of my my knowledge about the particulars of their situation is is not as extensive, but I I do believe that um, you know like like a lot of groups they had some camps and conferences that different groups uh, around the country would support, and I I think they like many others have kept some and divested themselves of others. Um, so you know a lot of those smaller bodies like them, uh, you know they had they had a proportionate amount of those things that were part of their history. Um, and, uh, I think that, that the bigger you are, the more of those that you carry with you into the, into the future. And again, harder, it's harder to loosen some of those, but those were important things that were a manifestation of denominational life, uh, you know, in the mid 1900s that, may not be as important today. Sure. And in their case, being kind of a free church group, they were able to go after churches that were not affiliated. Um, and that's sort of how they grew. I think a lot of people are going to be intrigued by the the growth of uh, multi-ethnic congregations. But but you would say most of those were formally not affiliated with a particular group? My, my understanding from from the conversations I've had with their leaders is that it's probably a strong mix of planting new churches okay. as well as recruitment of uh, independent congregations to join into their fellowship. And I, but I think this is not just possible for a, a free church tradition. You think the Wesleyan church, since I just mentioned them is another good example of what was really a, a small and not very thriving denominational body two decades ago. That before COVID uh, would have been the the one of the year over year most growing denominational groups uh, in the in the country, and of course everyone has had a, a significant backstep with COVID. So that they they but they did. If you look at them, a lot of similar things. They focused on church renewal, leadership development, church planting, uh, and of course they have a global arm. And so that there, it's a more hierarchical example of a group that moved in the same direction. And um, again, now one of the commonalities of those is that they were all sort of smaller from a national perspective. Uh, You know, often they would be smaller in size than some regional denominational bodies of, of the big, the big denominational historic denominational identities, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, et cetera. So then in a denomination like the Wesleyan Church, they, they have bishops or heads? Yeah, district superintendents, okay. which, which function like bishops. And are those now non-geographical? Do you know? Um, they, my understanding is the Wesleyan Church is largely geographical Okay, um, still. Um, but, of course, they cover the whole country, and so that, that, that is uh, helpful to them. 
but they have really focused on a few smaller areas, the same ones I mentioned just a few minutes ago. So I think that it, that shows uh, I believe that they used to have a like kind of a women's auxiliary organization like many denominational bodies have had. I don't think that they have that or it's, it's very small compared to what it used to be uh, anymore is an example uh, of something that they maybe divested along the way to focus on the future. Uh, so it's just another example of a, of a group that took similar steps within their own more hierarchical structures. So you are the leader of the Fresh Expressions movement. This is the Fresh Expressions podcast, and Fresh Expressions works with you know denominations of all shapes and sizes. Uh, we also work with in new churches. Some of uh, the new churches are, are independent. What what are the the implications of uh, denominations today in terms of? How how we do church in the future. Do you see a day where you're going to see a lot more kind of cross network collaboration? Are you going to see again, the continued morphing? What do you, what do you think the, the implications are for how we, we do church, even if particularly from a fresh expression sort of orientation? I know a lot of, a lot of groups, a lot of local churches and pastors still look to their denominational bodies, if they are part of one, for some guidance on uh, the shape of ministry in our current context. So one of the things that I think is really relevant for all denominational leaders is to help paint a picture for what the future of uh, the local church looks like and a path to get there. And I think that, that that's one of the best ways that denominational leaders can be vital to the local churches that they serve is by, by doing those things, by painting a picture and by showing them the path to, to get to that picture. So I think that it's very possible that if denominational leaders take that seriously, that um, they can be sort of prime change agents for local churches through local church leadership to have a more thriving ministry in five years from now than, than the local church does now. And for that to, to really perhaps even look different than one might expect. So um, one example of something like that uh, is from a small Pentecostal denomination that uh, they're one of their district officers uh, so, you know, a denominational leader for one of their regions also is a, a bivocational pastor for one of their local churches, a small church that uh, had 12 people in it. And they uh, were familiar and had been involved in some of the Fresh Expressions ministry of, of the last couple of years and were familiar with a number of the different things that uh, we support or advocate and they made the decision that uh, after trying everything that most people try to revitalize their local churches, that they just they just kind of needed to start over with a, a, a blank ecclesial slate and determine what was the best way for them to bear witness to the gospel within their community. And uh, they decided they were going to stop being a, a normal Sunday morning congregation and they were going to pivot to being a dinner church that meets on Friday nights. And so after, you know, a, a, a many decades of history, they made that decision. And uh, now a year later, 
They are very different looking church, but they have been seven or eight times as many people involved in their congregation. They're reaching new people. Their grandkids are coming back uh, into the life of the church. They have a more vital ministry in their city. And, um, and so now, you know, the denominational leader hopes to use their own story and example to say to other churches within their group, uh, here, this is possible for you too. And it might look totally different than you making uh, your version of church better than it is now, but it is a vital way forward for the future. And so denominational leaders can do that kind of thing because they they work with large groups of churches, sometimes over vast geographic territories. And so many churches today, I believe, are really looking for help in knowing how to really uh, be vital uh, in the days ahead. And it's such a challenging thing for them to figure out by themselves. And I think it's one way for denominational leaders to help. So if denominational leaders do that, I think that in five to 10 years time, they'll find a much more thriving body that they're serving and leading uh, around them. So that's one of the things that I think is really relevant because denominational leaders can affect change to multiple congregations all at once. Uh, And of course, we all know every local church Uh, in some form makes its own decisions and some will opt into that and some will not, but denominational leaders can be agents of change for local congregations. Um, that's, so that's one thing I think we could see and why, why it matters. And I think that leads into just kind of hope for the future. I mean, what I'm excited about, you know, in terms of the future is seeing all those in, um, engaged in, the work of ministry at whatever level to have their hands in the soil of, of the local church. And I think, you know, some of these more networked realities give uh, us the ability to do that. They're, they're leaner. Um, they're more lightweight, but that's, it seems to be where so many things in, in society are, are going. So any other sort of uh, thoughts about hope for the future, hope that you're seeing? Yeah, uh, I, I, I think a lot of my hope comes from um, in, in our sp- specific sort of area of ministry. I, I think that um, really anchoring on that denominational leaders can be agents of change, mm-hmm. agents of change for local churches, agents of change for the life of the gospel in all kinds of cities and towns uh, all across North America. And I think if if they see themselves that way and the denominational bodies see themselves that way, then they will uh, affect and be an agent of change for their own system if they if they decide to do that. And and I think the second thing that gives me hope is I think that if there's a, a recognition of helping our denominational families really uh, return to seeing themselves as catalyzers of a mission movement, then I think that more people will be involved with them. I think that there's a great number of non-denominational or independent churches across the country of all kinds that uh, are, uh, I mean, really, that I, I think in a lot of ways, the era of independence is fading I don't think most independent churches or non-denominational churches are going to want to to jump into uh, a highly structured denominational body, but I think they are looking for 
connectivity and fellowship and shared mission beyond just themselves. And so I think there's an opportunity for for that in the future and for them to be part of uh, the remaking of denominations in North America. Uh, and I, I think as a whole, it could really translate into seeing more people uh, reached and discipled uh, and following Jesus if denominational leaders see themselves in, in that mold. So really this uh, comes down to the, the joy of, of following Jesus who calls the church his body and there's one body in many parts and the connectivity across the body, even though it might look different from, uh, say, a past of our purely regional uh, identification. Maybe there's identification with, you know, like you said, Chris, a, a, a camp or a conference center or a university or a, a program that's been around for a long time by focusing um, the values of the denomination, by um, like really making a few key priorities, the, the point, and, and one of those things really is mission advancement, church planting, those uh, kinds of initiatives. You know, we'll see, I think, uh, denominations revitalized, just like we're seeing uh, uh, congregations uh, do the same. So was, I think a lot of the things that we're testing out with the local church in terms of a local church creating fresh expressions of church, you'll see uh, in a denomination where the leadership are uh, interested in activating uh, real change that is adaptive and uh, iterative and um, uh, nimble. Uh, and that's, that's the future. And the future is now. So thanks for, thanks for being here. And thanks for uh, always for your uh really brilliant uh, leadership, often behind the scenes. But we are so thankful when you, when you do uh, come on the podcast and, and share a little bit more about uh, what's going on and, and what makes you tick. Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we eat, play, work, and yes, even in our traditional churches. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, Go to freshexpressionsus.org backslash how to start. The Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by Gannon Sims and me, Heather Delod. It's edited by Joel Limbaum and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you've learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that God's ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations.